Wow, that, that was powerful. That was powerful. Wow. Just need 11 Sundays with New Philly. And God will transform your life. That's powerful. Actually, is it Brisa? Brisa. Brisa. Brisa just actually uh, traveled all the way up uh, to our college ministry retreat this past weekend with Catherine. And so they're so hungry, they pay for those KTX tickets and went all the way up. And you guys aren't even in college anymore, right? Oh, you guys are still in college? Oh, you guys took a break from college? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, they're, they're so hungry, they didn't care if they're not a college student, they went anyway. Okay, no, but they, they are college students. They went, and uh, I'm sure that you were uh, also blessed at the retreat, uh, just being with other college students. I mean, God is doing a powerful work up in Seoul. Uh, we just started our campus, uh, our Emmaus chapters at SNU this past semester, uh, which is Seoul National University. And also this semester, we just started Korea University, Koryode. And so students have just, we, God's just giving us divine favor and connections with professors, with Christian leaders on campus. We're getting like uh, school uh, rooms to rent out and have worship services and things like that. And so a lot of students have been coming out to church these days. How many students were at the retreat, Pastor Ray? 82 students came out to the retreat. It's powerful. And so God's moving very powerfully. And it's just so awesome to also hear Brisa. Brisa. Brisa's testimony. I just, want, I just want to say your name right. I don't want to be one of the people that, that butcher your name. Uh, what a powerful testimony. Let's just praise God one more time for uh, Brisa's testimony. That's awesome. Man, I know that God doesn't do that for everybody, okay? For some of y'all, you know, you guys have a slow and maybe steady growth. And God writes different stories. He's creative, you know? He's not just one-dimensional, you know? But it's always neat when God does uh, this kind of powerful, dramatic, supernatural testimony, you know? And uh, what God has done for Brisa, God can also do for you. So I want you to not just listen to testimony as, oh, good for her, uh, you know, what about poor me? Don't start a self-pity pity party over it. But understand that whenever a testimony is released, it's like a prophecy going out. It's like God saying, what I've done for this person, I will also do for you. Just open up your heart. Just release your faith. And God will be faithful to answer. That's powerful. Yeah. Today marks the one-year anniversary of New Philly Seaside. And... Thank you, uh, Roy and Sarah, for working on that video. I just want to say congratulations, Seaside, on a wonderful first year of ministry. You know, planning a church is not easy. People have tried throughout history to plant churches. In fact, in Korea these days, there's a lot of uh, talented ministers and ministries that are mega churches that are trying to plant English ministries in Korea. And many of these church plants have been folding within one year. And so for you guys to go and last one year, but not only last, but prosper through that year, it is the grace of God. There's a grace of God on our church. There's a grace of God on our leadership to do church planning. I will not recommend every good-hearted Christian to do church planning. Now, you will get messed up. All right? There's got to be a calling and a gift for church planning to do church planning. 
And you know what? God has put that calling and gift on our church. And so we believe uh, that God's also going to call us to other nations. And as you know, this past week, we did our first church plant in another nation. We haven't started a public service yet. That's going to happen one year from now. But we just started a covenant community, a new Philly covenant community in Sydney, Australia. And so we have four Sydney team members. And you know what? That's all you need, all right? Just need a strong, small few. And these four have started a meeting for accountability, for community. And they're going to start reaching out to people and to the city of Sydney. And I really believe that eventually we're going to see Australia. I believe a prophetic word I got the other week for our church plan in Sydney was that Australia is going to send more missions team members than even out of the uh, city of Seoul and Busan put together. Eventually, there's going to be so many young people that are going to go out on the missions field from Australia. It's really going to be a powerful move of God. Yeah. Uh, Aaron and I have been able to visit Australia several times. And so uh, I've gone down to, there to speak about four times now. And every time I've gone, man, there are just so many young people that are hungry for strong leadership. They're hungry for a balanced, spirit-filled ministry. Not a ministry that just has all the correct answers but a ministry that is balanced in both the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So they're so hungry, and so we're going to see powerful fruit down there as well. And so church planning, Busan, Seaside, y'all have developed into a beautiful covenant community, and you guys are going to continue to grow. You're going to outgrow these facilities, and you're going to go from glory to glory. Amen? Amen. Blessings upon the church plant team. For you have left behind your, the comforts of your jobs, friends, family, to move down to a new city that you did not know much about. And to build a house of God down here. The Lord does not take your sacrifice and obedience lightly. You know, Jesus said in Mark 10, 29-30, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not fail to receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. What is Jesus saying there? If you will abandon, you will walk away from the comforts of what you've known in your family and in your, in your cities to obey my calling for the sake of the gospel and for me, you will not, I will not fail to bless you in this life. The rewards will be also uh, reaped in this life and also in the life to come. Eternal life. Along with it, persecutions, by the way. <laughs> and you get persecution whether you go or stay, by the way. So, you know what? I just got to face the music. Persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And Pastors Caleb and Mina have been doing an amazing job leading the team through all the ups and downs of this past year. There are a lot of joys, but there are also a lot of challenges. But they've just done an amazing job. The attitude of their hearts, just really just selfless, really giving. You know, they've been really loving on the church as Christ loved the church. And uh, as Pastor Aaron and I have appointed and authorized them to be the campus pastors, they have taken this authority and they've done a wonderful job of shepherding this community. So Aaron and I are so proud uh, of Pastors Caleb and Mina. God has really poured out his grace upon you two in great measure. 
And, he, and God looks at Caleb and says, I need to give him more. <laughs> no, they, God did an amazing job. Uh, and Pastors Caleb and Mina are committed to the city. Uh, when we talked in Phuket, Thailand, we did a double, uh, double vacation. Double date vacation. We did a couple's vacation to Phuket, Thailand. It was, it was a wonderful, beautiful time. And while we were there, we were talking about uh, Seaside here. And they really expressed their commitment to really build up this church. If Aaron and I were willing to uh, appoint them here long term, that they are committed. They love the city. And they really see what God is doing. And they really see all the people, the expat community, the English-speaking community in this city. And seeing how precious they are. And how as they meet Jesus, they believe God's going to do a powerful work through them. So they are committed here long term. And I want to encourage you to really commit and join with them in, their, in this work of building the house of God in the city. You know, I just want to uh, paint the picture of what Seaside is going to look like in the next, you know, two to five years. You know, in the upcoming years, I don't know if you have a one-year contract or if you only have five months left on your two-year contract or whatever contract you have. Let me paint a picture of what's to come. Okay? I envision Seaside in a few years. There's going to be hundreds of people coming out and worshiping at this campus. And it won't be just a bunch of cultural Christians who are good at doing church and appearing holy. It's going to be believers, disciples of Christ who have substance to their faith. Who can give a reason for the hope that they have. And I'm talking about also an army of mighty warriors here down in Busan. Who have been healed and set free who are going out and healing and setting free others, a congregation of extravagant worshipers, a community of people who are hungry for revelation and trembles at the word of God, a church that is filled with the spirit of God and moving in supernatural kingdom power. I just see just multitudes of people gathering in the upcoming years here in the city of Busan. I also, uh, before we even started, I envisioned our Busan church plan here, hosting leadership training meetings where people from Australia are going to fly in to Busan to receive leadership training at this, at this campus. You guys are going to go on. You're going to send out multitudes of people on mission trips, develop great children's programs, and make a powerful impact on the city of Busan, whether they speak English or not. All right. I see our community starting new businesses here. Owning the best and most popular restaurants. Come on. <laughs> and writing for local and global magazines. You know, you guys are going to go on and individually you guys are going to have clarity about your callings. And confidence in those callings. And many of you, you guys are going to see awesome things. You're going you're to really make an impact. I believe also various churches, they're going to come and seek out New Philly Seaside for resources. And for prayer. It's going to be awesome. So on this one year anniversary. I want to preach my message. On the vision of our church. You guys know what the vision of our church is? Thank you Pastor Mina. (laughs) Um, The Bible says in Proverbs 29. That where there is no vision. The people perish. Says in King James. In the NIV, it says, people cast off restraint. 
you know, when people don't have a clear picture of where you're headed, you know, people start going, you know, bug wow. They get independent. They start casting off restraint. They, they, they perish. They start doing their own thing. And so it's very important that we renew the vision that God has given to our church. And so I want to renew the vision. To, I'm going to talk about our vision today, what God had, where we are headed, what God has called us to do, and why we do the things we do. Okay, turn to Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 10. And I'm going to read it out loud. I'm going to read it in the NIV. So if you have a different version of the Bible, just follow along. I'm going to just read verses 1 through 10. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. (laughs) The bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Now, if you go on to read the context... God gives this prophecy to Ezekiel as um, a prophecy for the house of Israel. And and at that time, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, God's judgment have fallen. And so there was a lot of uh, hopelessness that the Jews, well, the northern kingdom got completely annihilated, if you guys don't know. So many of the tribes of Israel, the ten northern northern tribes of Israel, they completely got annihilated. And the mixed race out of that group, uh, they were called Samaritans. And the southern tribe is called Judah. That's where we get the word Jews. You guys know this, right? If you guys don't know this, we'll do a little more Bible study here at our campus. So you guys can get some more historical background. But anyway, they they have been exiled. And so this vision becomes like a message of hope for these exiles. I don't know if by this time they were returning to Jerusalem yet or not. But you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, they led a bunch of Jews from exile, and they brought them back into the homeland and began to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. Anyway, this vision is a vision of hope. That was the context then, but this word is very much alive to the context of today. You know, if you really think about it, 
I see this vision of Ezekiel being applicable to our day today. To our day today. In fact, this is the passage out of which we, we were inspired to establish the vision of New Philadelphia Church. To raise up an army of mighty warriors. That's pretty much the gist of our vision. That vision came out of Ezekiel 37 and Isaiah 61. And so I just want to look at Ezekiel 37 with you today and to renew this vision that God originally gave us so that we know why we're doing what we're doing. Now, I believe this vision of Ezekiel is applicable to two areas today. One is people who grew up in the church. And two, people who grew up outside the church, who did not grow up with church. So let me talk about, number one, people who grew up in church. I have a heart. For people who grew up in the church. How many of you in here, you grew up in the church? Whatever denomination, you grew up in the church. Okay? It's about 70% of you. Okay? I also, personally, I grew up in the church. But like, even as Brisa was um, sharing, even though you grow up in the church, it does not necessarily mean that you're going to have a personal relationship with God. Or even if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, it does not mean that that relationship is enjoyable and it's full of life. <laughs> in fact, right now in America and in Korea, there is something called the silent exodus. You guys ever hear this term? There are multitudes of young people, about 90, 95% of young people who grew up in the church. By the time they go to college, they leave the church. Just a silent exodus. And the church is doing their best to try to cover it up and pretend there's no problem. But for uh, people who do the statistics, they, they are constantly talking about how big of a problem this is. And what is this pretty much saying? This is saying the revivals of yesterday that planted the churches previously, those churches are not reaching the young generation. And so if you go to certain churches today that are even mega churches, they can even have... 5,000 people, 6,000 people, and you look up from the back of the balcony and everybody's head is gray and white because there's just no young people that they're reaching. Uh, this is why ministries like Campus Crusade, Inner Varsity, these college ministries, if it wasn't for college ministries, oh man, that number will be even higher. But even... The students, the many thousands of students that Campus Crusade reaches, because I used to be on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. You know, we used, to, we used to reach a lot of people, but even those people was a small fragment compared to the entire group of uh, young people that were doing the sign in Exodus. And when I was doing ministry at Columbia University, they were like, like multitudes of Asian Americans who grew up in church. And our large group meetings, we had about 60 people, 60 students, 70 students. But on campus, there are hundreds and hundreds of students. You know, if you go out to UCLA, you go out to uh, UC Irvine, and you see Korea Campus Crusade at UC Irvine, you know, they have over 100 students coming up. But that is such a tiny fraction, because you guys know UC Irvine, you know UCLA, you know what it really stands for? University of Caucasians Lost to Asians. Because <laughs> Asian Americans easily outnumber any other ethnic group, like UCLA, UC Irvine, UC San Diego, any of those UC schools, you go there, and there's so many Asian Americans. And many of them grew up in church. And many of them stopped going to church when they get to college. 
There's a sign in Exodus going on. But even for people who don't leave the church, they stay in the church. There are so many people who are in church, they attend church, but their spiritual walk is dry with no life. And my heart goes out for these people. Even in spirit-filled churches, I, I was shocked to observe how dry and lifeless even a spirit-filled, like supposedly spirit-filled church is. Like Aaron and I visited this fairly large charismatic church in Baltimore. And everybody had a smile on their face. Everybody was singing the songs with professional sounding music. But there was no life. It was so strange. Aaron and I felt suffocated. They were very expressive. They were very free. But there was no life. So why is it like this? Why is the church failing to reach our young people? Why is the church so dry? So lifeless sometimes. Why is it like that? And I believe the number one reason is because of the religious spirit. Everybody say religious spirit. The religious spirit is one of the most wicked, demonic spirits out there. Because it is unafraid to do its main work from within the church. Other demonic spirits, you know, you got to go to the club to get acquainted with them, right? You know, you got to go to some Buddhist temple. You got to go to some, you know, whatever. But the religious spirit welcomes you to church. And oppresses you once you commit to church. It is indeed one of the most wicked spirits out there. It robs the people of God of joy and life. Under the campaign of being right and correct. But you know what? The religious spirit, it's not a message about the religious spirit. I have a message on the religious spirit. I was reading my notes from that. It's a really good message. It's from about two and a half years, years ago, three years ago. It's called Make War on a Religious Spirit. So I cover all these topics. So many of our leadership, they know these topics already. Uh, and one day maybe I'll preach on it again. But if for now, you can go, go check out our podcast from three years ago. There's a message on the religious spirit. Anyway, the religious spirit is not just a demonic spirit. But it is also a manifestation of man's flesh. It is rooted in man's lust for people's approval, for people's attention and praise. When a person values the appearance of holiness more than the substance of it, you have the religious spirit. Where a person cares more about what people think than what God thinks. Where a person is submitted more to the fear of man rather than trembling before a holy God. Where a person is has that appearance of godliness, but denying the power of it. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy is often a problem when a man is giving in to the lusts of his flesh. And one of those ways is to the religious spirit. Jesus had a lot, of, uh, he had, not a lot, he had little patience with the Pharisees of his day, with the religious spirited people of his day, because he has very little patience with the religious spirit. And you know what? I also have very little patience for the religious spirit. You know, I grew up in Philly. And so, you, you know, you try to, like, pretend or be, you know, try to, like, fool people or whatnot. You know, people in the urban neighborhood, they will call you out. Yeah. What, what you doing? That's not you. Like, people just call you out right away. So, man, I have very little patience for a religious spirit. But you know what? If I have to confess, I also admit that looking back on my Christian walk, I also struggled a little bit with the religious spirit myself. The religious spirit 
has a way of being undetected in the church, oppressing the church. And you know what? The religious spirit is giving us a form of Christianity that God never intended for us. The truth is, there is more. There is so much more. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life. Life abundant. If you're really walking out biblical Christianity, it's one that's full of life. Not one that's oppressing you with just rules and, you know, make sure you appear holy. Make sure you appear righteous. It's all about true life. You know, uh, if I had to share a short story, a short story, I'm going to share a short story. I shouldn't share this, but I'm going to share it because I already started saying that I'm going to share it. So uh, there's a gentleman named Larry at our Hillside campus. And when Larry first came to church, he was... uh, he grew up kind of going to church, but he was not a believer. He had not personally made a relationship, uh, commitment to Jesus. And when he came to church, he was under severe clinical depression. And his family was spending thousands of dollars on the best psychiatrists in Seoul in order to get him better. Because he's a smart guy. You know, he was going to SNU, all these things. And they, want, they didn't want him to ruin his future. Taking him to the best psychiatrist, giving him all these drugs. But he just was not getting better. Well, he comes to church, and he joined uh, my Bible study. And around the third Bible study we had, I just reached out my hand. And I said, Larry, today I just want to pray for you. I want to break this depression off of you. We're just going to pray for your depression to be healed. And so I just prayed for him, like a simple prayer. I didn't feel like electricity. I didn't feel like that uh, compression like Brissa felt. I wish I felt something like that. I just, I just, I just did it in faith. I didn't see no, no supernatural sign whatsoever. I just did it in faith. And I said, amen. And after I said, amen, the coming weeks after that, Larry felt dramatically better. In fact, it was so much better that he came off of his medication and was surprised to find that he was permanently healed. Now, during the time from when I prayed until he came off the medication, in between when he was coming out to church, we, you know, we'll go out and invite him out to dinner. We'll come invite him out to fellowship. And we'll be having dinner. And he would drop curse words here and there. They're just dropping F-bombs everywhere, right? And so we're having dinner with a couple other newcomers, you know, and a couple of people who have grown up in the church, you know. And they're just like, oh, Pastor Christian, I love your message today. These points and all this stuff. We're talking. And then Larry starts getting in and starts just dropping S-bombs and F-bombs and just really creative with his curse words. And the... And the other two newcomers, I noticed that they were like, what the? And they started, like, ostracizing him. Because they were like, that's not right. That's not what a Christian does. And they, they could not rejoice in uh, what was happening because they didn't really know what was happening in Larry's life. They were more concerned about appearing righteous and doing, you know, what, what a good Christian does. The good Christians don't talk that way. And so we need to teach him a lesson. You know, I guess that's, that was kind of their attitude. But even though they did that, I smiled in my heart because I knew that they didn't know the full story. And if they knew the full story, maybe they would rejoice as I am. And I'm rejoicing. Not that he's dropping (laughs) F-bombs. But even though he's dropping F-bombs, there's a powerful work I was doing in his heart. The religious spirit doesn't doesn't have the patience to see that through. They will immediately get down on that or take them aside and say, no, no F-bombs for you. (laughs) Right? 
I saw you smoking that cigarette outside before dinner. You know, like, man, religious people, they're really big on drinking and smoking. Really big. I mean, and of course, we should also, you know, teach in a balanced manner toward drinking and smoking. But, you know, they're really obsessed with making sure you don't drink and smoke. You know, the moment you step into church, the religious spirit's obsession is to make sure you stop drinking and smoking. You know, here at New Philly, we have a different approach. We want to see your heart changed. Some people, their hearts change, but they still can't kick that smoking habit right away. And when we find them smoking, they're like, oh, 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 Pastor Christian, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I can't smell that smoke. You just put that thing away. I'm like, hey, man, chill out, man. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right, you know. Just keep listening. Just keep, you know, coming out. You're going to be all right. In the long term, it's going to be easy for you to quit that smoking when God gives you new desires. You know? Anyway, let me, let me come back to the original message here. I believe that God has called New Philly to go into churches and to prophesy like Ezekiel. Prophesy, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You know, I have a big heart to go into churches and to bring life to dry bones. Because you know what? As much as churches are supposed to be a place of joy, a place of prayer, the truth of the matter is the religious spirit has really oppressed the church in such a way that you may not find that at every church you go to. You know, people can criticize New Philly. I've been hearing a few criticisms, right? Especially from America. A lot of religious spirit people in America, people that appear like they're good Christians, but they really just have a, a lot of religious spirit. Anyway, uh, people can criticize New Philly for our 10-year commitments. Hey, that doesn't sound like a normal church. Um, sonship. Uh, having women ministers. Mm. Uh, Naomi Initiative. Apparently, some people think uh, we're a cult because we had this Naomi Initiative thing. And they don't even understand what it is. But they just talk, talk, talk. Um, hey, we can get criticized for having a lead pastor that's not ordained. For having a campus pastor that used to be in jail. You know? You know, people can criticize us for all kinds of things, Mm -hmm. but people cannot argue with the many testimonies of dry, lifeless Christians who have been healed and delivered and filled with great joy. You know, you can criticize me, but I'm not going to answer you directly. Mm. The book of uh, Proverbs says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. (laughs) The way I will answer you is by sharing a testimony. Of Brisa, mm-hmm. sharing a testimony of uh, some of the new testimonies that went up on our podcast. <laughs> who, who, well, there was a powerful one a couple weeks ago at Hillside. Who shared a couple weeks ago? Oh, Bora, yeah, our main student, Bora. Man, Bora, man, like, like last year, you know, like Bora, I think, you know, she had a lot of different issues. She's going back and forth. And a lot of times, I just go up to her and say, hey, Bora, hi. And she'll just, oh, I thank you, Christian. And she's all like feeling guilty over, you know, some of the things she was involved with. But I didn't go, you know, I know what you're doing. Stop doing that. 
I said, hey, boy, hey, hey, chill out. Just come here. Give me a hug. And I just hug her, and she just start crying, you know. And then she'll go back, and she won't quit her way. She'll just kind of go back some of the ways she knew weren't right. But, you know, I just kept on loving on her. And it was the kindness of God that led her to repentance. And now she's received a permanent transformation. And so she testified about it. Powerful. For every person that might criticize us for the Naomi initiative, for 10-year commitments, whatever, I present to you transformed lives, dry bones that have been filled with the breath of God. The vision of Ezekiel 37 at New Philly is fulfilled again and again and again, not only in this house, but wherever the Lord sends us. You know, our church, we've been to so many countries, Myanmar, Nepal, India, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, Australia, different, Bangladesh, different parts of Indonesia. We went to West Papua. We went to Jakarta. Um, but, and wherever we have gone, we have been preaching the word of God with authority and bringing life and the outpouring of the spirit to the church. And people are standing to their feet. A vast army is being raised up in the nations just through a simple visit by our church. A simple visit by a bunch of 20-somethings who in the natural, they look like, oh, how cute little, you know, joyful Christians. And then the power of the Holy Spirit starts moving through us. And then they go, wow, these young people are carrying something powerful. They're preaching a message also with authority beyond their years. And you know what? For the people who are truly hungry out in these nations, they receive. You know, in Myanmar, the churches we went to, they were dry. Dry bones. And Pastor John Michael went and released the fire of the Holy Spirit. The next second time we went, we went back to these churches, and they were like worshiping like New Philly. Like all extravagant worship. People were dancing, smiling. It was awesome. And we're not taking all the credit. We're not like, oh, New Philly, we're the best, right? But we're, we are saying that we saw the difference. And the pastor himself, the pastors there, they would testify, wow, the last time you guys visited, something changed. Wherever there is dryness and lifelessness in the church, God desires to pour out his spirit there. This is called renewal. And whenever people respond to this outpouring with repentance and faith, that's called revival. The anointing of Isaiah 61 is upon this house. And the Father is sending us out to bring renewal and revival to the ends of the earth. That's the vision of New Philly, is to raise up an army of mighty warriors. So I have a big heart for people within the church. But number two, I have a people heart... I have a people. <clears throat> I have a heart for people who grew up outside the church. The unchurched. Everybody say unchurched. unchurched. Jesus said in John ten sixteen, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. Jesus is the good shepherd. In the sense that he is willing to abandon the sheep. Does that sound like a good shepherd to you? It doesn't, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't do it without reason. Sometimes Jesus will leave behind the 99 and let them fellowship with each other <laughs> to go after the one with the broken leg 
go after the one with a concussion. <laughs> I don't know, to go after that sheep that's straggling around when the wolves are surrounding and stalking it. Lions and tigers and bears, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Jesus is a good shepherd. He goes after. And we need to have that heart to be willing to leave the comforts of the church to go after the unchurched. To be friends with non-believers for the purpose of reaching some of them. Now, we may not be able to reach every non-believing friend we have. But you know what? We need to always be in an attitude of reaching out to them. Because you never know which one of them are going to respond to the gospel call. People who, uh, unchurched, people who grew up surrounded by idolatry, witchcraft, abuse, godlessness. They may even look happy or successful on the outside. But I suspect that on the inside of their hearts, they are empty and tormented. Because they are strangers to the author of life. They are not connected to the plans of God for their lives. And so they feel very lost. They may look like they're very confident. But when they go home by themselves, they're tormented. For me, evangelism is very important. Because we are to raise up an army not from with just only within the church, but also raise up an army from those who are outside the church right now. For me, it's just a matter of time. It's not a matter so much of uh, circumstance. It's just a matter of time. If we will keep on going out and reaching the unchurched, it's just a matter of time before they start filling the house of God. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul's ministry was to go out to the Gentiles. You know why? You know ever real? You ever kind of think like, why did God make it so specific to Paul, a Jew? He has such a big heart for his own people, and in the beginning, he would reach his own people. He would evangelize to his own people. He would go to the synagogues, and he would argue with the Jews and try to tell them about Christ. And these Jews, you know what they kept on doing? They kept beating him up. They tried to stone him. One time they stoned him and they left him to die. You know what Apostle Paul did? He said, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to the Gentiles. Because you know what? That's my original calling anyway. (laughs) Peace out, Jews. But no, that wasn't his attitude. His heart broke for his own people. But God was giving him a very specific call, go to the Gentiles. You know why? Because the moment he started going to the Gentiles, thousands upon thousands of people in influential cities like Corinth, Ephesus, they just started coming to Jesus. Godless people who all they knew was the idolatry all their lives, they started responding to the gospel in mass. People who did not see a single public ministry miracle of Jesus while he was on the earth, because most of the people who saw that were Jews. People who never saw Jesus do a miracle. Blessed are they who did, did not see, but they still believe. These Gentiles, they just started coming to Jesus left and right. And you know what? The deception of the enemy is the people who are unchurched, they don't want to be bothered. The two things they don't want to talk about is religion and politics. The deception of the enemy is they're not really interested. They're smarter than you, by the way. So don't even try to talk to them or persuade them about God. Just leave them alone. That's all deception. Because you know what? For every nine people that may be like that, there's one hidden among them that is so hungry for God, the living God. And so it's so important for us 
to keep going out to the unchurched as well and to look for the army of God among those who don't come to church. And for me, evangelism is not just about getting more people saved. Evangelism, for me, is about minimizing the time that they stay lost. Let me say that again. For me, evangelism, I don't believe that more effort on our part is about getting more quantity of people saved. I believe, for me, evangelism is about minimizing the time that the lost stay lost. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 25 to 29, The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Jesus didn't say you are not my sheep because you do not believe. Jesus said you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You guys hear the difference? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. In other words, Jesus is saying, y'all don't believe because y'all don't, y'all not, y'all not my sheep. But there's a lot of people out there that are my sheep. And when you speak to them about the gospel, nine people may not respond, but there's going to be the one there among them. And they're going to come in tears before the foot of the cross. They're going to give their lives to Jesus. But how can those people ever get found if we're not willing to deal with the stigma of the gospel? If we're not willing to go out and be unashamed of the power of the gospel? New Philly, we have a calling to go out and prophesy to the dry bones that are outside the church. Amen? Amen. Those who are currently dead in their trespasses and sins. We are to go out. And carry the ministry of the resurrection of the dead. You know, um, my old college mentor, he prophesied over me one day. He said, Christian, you're going to see the sick healed. And you know, I've seen a lot of sick people healed. And so, praise the Lord. You know, you're going to see the sick healed and you will also see the dead raised. And I was like, wow, yeah. Yeah, I believe that. There's scripture to back that up. Jesus said, things you've seen me do, you also will do. Greater things than these you will do because I'm going to the Father. If Jesus raised the dead, then I should be able to raise the dead, right? Yeah. Well, easier said than done, right? <laughs> and, and, and easier to just receive than really believe, right? Because how many opportunities do you have to raise the dead? Uh, when's the last time even like your cousin or your uncle or some family member died and then your aunt came up to you and said, Oh, can you pray? I know, I know you believe in the raising of the dead. Can you pray for our co- your cousin who just died? No one does that. So how many opportunities to pray for the dead? Right. And so uh, I'm still, you know, wrestling to believe that. But I, I believe it. But it, it ain't easy. But one way metaphorically in which we raise that all the time is when we bring a person who's dead in their trespasses and, and sins into life with Jesus. That's raising the dead. That's prophesying to dry bones and them coming to life. And as we go to raise the dead to life, they're going to stand on their feet a mighty army. And so I want to point out two keys here in how to take dry bones and bring them to life and onto their feet as a vast army. I'm going to talk about two keys here. Look at verse 4. God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. So the first key, there's only two keys. It's a really easy, easy message. All right, two keys. Number one is prophesy. 
If you want to fulfill the vision of this church, you have got to be willing to prophesy. Everybody say prophesy. prophesy. Now, when there's an S, it's prophesy. When there is a C, it's prophecy. Everybody got that? Yeah. Verb, noun. All right, very good. <laughs> Prophesying includes teaching, preaching, evangelizing, speaking words of healing. Prophesying is in, in any way in which we speak on God's behalf with his heart and with his authority. That's prophesying. Now, I know there's a specific ministry of the prophetic. But here, I believe metaphorically, prophesying involves just speaking forth on behalf of the heart of God. If you want to fulfill the vision of this church, you've got to be willing to speak on God's behalf. Even when it feels uncomfortable. Because there is power. The power of life and death are in our tongue. Second, verse 8 and 9. The second key to fulfilling the vision of this church. It says, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And verse nine, <clears throat> verse nine, then God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds of breath and breathe into these slain that they may live. The second key is breath. The Hebrew word for breath is ruach. Everyone say ruach. Ruach is a word that's used interchangeably for the word spirit. So wherever you see the word ruach in Hebrew, it could be translated as wind or spirit. Mm-hmm. Breath or spirit. Yeah. The funny thing is, in the Greek language, it's the same thing, pneuma. It can also be translated as wind, breath, or spirit. Mm-hmm. Now the tricky thing is, well, which word do we choose for the meaning? It depends on context. Depends on context. And I believe here this vision is a vision where Ruach is not just talking about just the symbol of breath. Ruach is talking about the, the very spirit of God. When the spirit of God is poured out upon these dry bones, mm-hmm. breath enters into them and they begin to stand on their feet as a vast army. Mm-hmm. And so here I believe the breath is talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What the churched and unchurched need to awaken to be the army of God is the outpouring of God's Spirit. There needs to be a prophesying and then there needs to be an outpouring. Some ministries, they have the outpouring, but they are, they're really weak on prophesying. Other ministries, they're really good on preaching and prophesying, but there is no outpouring. There must be the power of both the Word and the Spirit coming together. For an army to rise up. In Joel chapter 2. Verse 28. God says there come a day when he will pour out his spirit on on his sons and daughters. And they shall prophesy. That's connected to Ezekiel 37 I believe. The outpouring of the spirit of God. Is key to raising up the army of God. You know, without the outpouring of God's spirit, you can have bones who are attached to each other with even skin. Isn't that powerful, that symbol? Think about that. Isn't that, isn't that like a powerful symbol of a picture of the church? Christians that kind of look like they have it together. And it's not just even bones, they're skin now. Now, some churches, they, they got the skin. They got, they got the appearance. But there's still no life. 
If you're, if you're there long enough, there's no life. Right? That's where those churches, they need the outpouring of God's spirit. They need what Brisa experienced in her bedroom by herself. Which didn't happen spontaneously just by herself in her bedroom one day. It was a process in which she heard things. She believed. She received. She prayed. She responded. She got prayer from other leaders. And eventually she came to that moment where God just poured out his spirit upon her. The church needs the outpouring of the spirit to raise up the army of God. So New Philly Seaside, as we move forward, I want to set before you the vision of this house. This is what God has called us to. It's to raise up an army of mighty warriors. And this goes for our other campuses of Hillside, e and our new church plant in Sydney. This is our vision. Our college ministry, Emmaus, they're so good at raising up the army of God. It's amazing what Emmaus is doing right now. The number of students that they reach. By the way, these are students that they only have. Mo- excuse me. Most of them, they only have them for three or four months. Three or four months, and these students' lives get radically transformed. You know, at Campus Crusade, I have four years with students, and it was still hard to reach them. And a lot of times, I would have four years with these students. They would be the president of my campus ministry. They would be worship leaders. And once they graduate, I'm like, what are you doing with your life? Why are you going to those places? Why are you going back to these old ways? Yeah. You know, they're on, on Facebook, you know. We're a Facebook generation. So I do follow-up through Facebook, and I'm like, what is going on? You were my worship leader. What happened? Four years, I have four years with them. And still, so, so hard to see permanent fruit. Four months with my wife. <laughs> and these college students, they're permanently transformed. How do we know? Facebook. We follow up with them. <laughs> hey. Love it or hate it. All right. Facebook is the best way to stalk somebody. <clears throat> and stalking, stalking doesn't always have to be negative. You, you know, if you're doing it to help raise up the army of God and you're doing it to minister to people, yeah, it's catching up without talking to them. <laughs> Amazing. I'm like, I saw you at church like four times. But these young people, man, they're permanently transformed. Mm, praise God. They listen to our message every single week. Mm. They listen to this message right now from all over America. All over uh, Asia now. There's so many uh, Indonesian, Malaysians. So many Malaysians coming out to Emmaus right now. Malaysians are supposed to be Muslim. You go to Malaysia, you convert a Muslim and there's like, there's like, Laws against that. But man, Malaysians, they are calling on the name of Jesus. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, we, sometimes we get kind of scared with Emmaus. We're like, oh, these students, you know, many of them are unchurched actually. A lot of Europeans also come. You know, Europeans supposed to be a post-Christian uh, continent, right? Post-Christian continent. And, um, and they come and they're like, yeah, I'm better than that. You know, you know we're, we're smarter. We're, we're past religion. We don't need religion anymore. And then and they just start crying during service. Why am I crying though? I don't need religion. But they're just crying, touched by the spirit of God. And then eventually we just give them a hug and they're like, I want Jesus. 
You know, my prayer is that even as our churches get older and we have children, we will continue to be a fiery church of mighty warriors. Mothers will hold their babies in the nursery and talk to another newcomer mother while holding the baby, laying hands and ministering healing and deliverance while the little toddler also starts to reach out their hand. <clears throat> no, that's the kind of church I want, I want to see for, for us. Grandfathers who speak bold, boldly into couples who are on the brink of divorce. Seven-year-olds who will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Mission trips in the future. Where it's family mission trips. Everybody go. Grandma, aunt, uncle, cousin, and your babies. And you go out, you see signs and wonders. I really believe that this is the, the calling that God's placed on this house. And there's a grace on us to fulfill it. And we plan to keep on going from glory to glory for the glory of his name. So Seaside, you guys are already doing it. And I just want to really commend you, commend you all. You know, there's parts that only I can do. And then there's parts only you can do. And you know what? Many of you have been responding. Praise the Lord for that. Many of you were broken when you came in. But God has now healed you and made you strong. And even in your weakness, you, f- you feel the strength of God. Mm-hmm. Let the weak say, I am strong. That's New Philly right there. Well, that's the amazing thing. is a person who's so broken, they cry every weekend at church. But they feel stronger for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it right there. Let me close in prayer.